thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Hey, you guys have a great pastor, Pastor Steve Ritchie. He's a wonderful man of God, and it's an honor and it's a privilege to bring forth the Word of God this morning to you. As he mentioned, my wife Danielle is here, and we also have five sons. The oldest is uh, 11. His name is Noah. We have a son named Zion. He's eight. Caleb, who's five. Christian, who's three. And we have our baby, Eli, who's one year old. So we are a busy family. The Bible says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And I always tell people, I take the Bible literally. He said, go and be fruitful. Go and multiply. And so we take the word of God seriously. And thank you so much for having us here this morning. It's a privilege, like I said, to bring forth the word of God As I was praying, what God has laid on my heart is to actually continue the message that Pastor Richie delivered two weeks ago when we were here. We had the opportunity to visit the church and uh, meet some of you folks here. And uh, he talked about the son being sent to destroy the works of the devil. Do you remember that message? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he emphasized that the son was sent to destroy the the works of the devil. I've been raised in a Pentecostal church almost my entire life. I truly believe Jesus Christ has been sent to destroy the works of the devil. What we see is two opposing powers, Jesus Christ and the power of evil. And I'm telling you that when Jesus enters into the room, when Jesus enters into the story, everything changes, doesn't it? Let me just illustrate, growing up in the church since I was 10 years old, just briefly share my testimony with you so that you get an opportunity to know me. When I was 10 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. At that point, my mom and my father, they were divorced, and it divided and destroyed my family. My mom had to get us out of that situation. And here was my mom raising three small children all on her own. And then she received the diagnosis that she had five breast tumors. Well, it was no coincidence that she was walking down a main street in Shemokin, Pennsylvania, and she heard loud praise and worship going on in a church building. She had no idea what was going on, and she was just curious. So she entered into the church and dragged myself and my two younger brothers into this church building, and Pastor Steve Roser I don't know if anyone knows Pastor Steve Roser. He is a wonderful man of God. He was holding a healing service that particular night. God gave him a word of knowledge and said, there's a woman in this building that has cancer, and tonight God wants to heal you. My mom responded in faith. She went forward. The pastor, the deacons laid hands on her, anointed her with oil, and prayed that that cancer would disappear supernaturally. And I'm here to tell you that for 29 years, my mom has been cancer free by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Give them some praise. Give them some praise. And so God just has worked so powerfully in my life and my family's life. And I am so thankful for God's saving grace. I'm so thankful for his power in my life. I don't know what I would do without his grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. 
Lord, I thank you for every person that has gathered here this morning. And God, I pray that every single heart would be open to receive the word of God today. God, that you'd give me boldness, that you'd give me clarity to preach your word. God, I am your humble servant. And God, I pray today that you would empower me to bring forth your word in boldness and with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And God, that the people gathered here today, it's not by accident. You have called each one by name here this morning. And God, I pray that you'd minister to every single soul in this place. And God, we give you the praise, we give you the glory for what you're about to do this morning in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen and amen. I'm going to be talking about our authority in Christ. Pastor Richie delivered such a powerful message from 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And he talked about the very reason why the Son was sent to this earth. It was not just to save our souls. He, w- he wasn't just sent to die upon a cross, even though that was his mission. He was also sent for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. And I want us to see this morning that because the spirit of Christ lives in us, we too have that power that lives in us. Romans chapter 8, Paul says in verse 11, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. That power resides in us because we have the spirit of Christ. And uh, this morning I'm, being, I'm going to be preaching out of Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. This story that's found in three Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, what we see is a powerful illustration of Jesus' power at work. Jesus was sent to destroy the works of the devil. And this story this morning that I'm going to share with you illustrates the fact that Jesus was sent to destroy the works of the devil. See, Mark's gospel, I'm going to be preaching out of that this morning because that is the most detailed description of this story. It's also located in Matthew. It's also located in Luke. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. Six verses that Matthew writes about this particular story. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. But Mark gives us the most detailed account of this story of demonic possession. This is kind of strange that you really don't know me, and here I am going to be preaching on a story about a demon-possessed man. But this is what God has laid on my heart to illustrate his power, his power in our lives. So in this particular story, I believe just because it's in the word of God, we should believe it. It's in the word of God. We should receive it as the word of God. But I think it also gives historical credibility when we see this story found in two other gospels. So it's recorded in three particular gospels, each one recounting different descriptions of this particular story. These three writers who are inspired by the Holy Spirit, they gave an account of Jesus' life. And so it's important to also note that Luke wrote about this particular story. What we know about Luke is that he was a beloved physician. You know, even today in modern times, people try to dismiss demonic possession. They attribute that to psychological illness or a disease. 
I'm telling you here this morning that demonic possession is real and it is true and it does happen today. I've had three different particular encounters with demonic possession in my ministry. The context in which we live right now, it's a rural community of 171 people and there are churches all over. And there's one particular pastor who received a phone call from one of his church members. And she said, Pastor, I believe I'm being tormented by evil spirits. I can't sleep in my room. The cat won't even enter into the room. And the cat usually sleeps right down on the bottom of the bed with this lady. And the cat and even her were terrified to spend a single night in that room. Well, her pastor said, I don't really have experience with this, so why don't you give Pastor Scott a call, and I could come to the rescue and see what's going on in this house. Well, I sensed that she was being tormented by evil spirits. She didn't become possessed, but she was oppressed, and it's a reality. And I've grown up to know the power of God. God healed my mom. And she had such a powerful healing ministry. I'm telling you, I've seen such incredible things that God has done for people. Incredible things. I'm a person that has been saved by God's grace, by his marvelous grace. And so in this particular story, we see that Jesus casts out demons from people. He casts them out. He cast out seven demons, even from Mary Magdalene. In this particular story, Gadara is where Jesus entered into this small community. And previous to this story, what we read in Mark chapter 4 is that Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. And as they were traveling to get to the other side, the Bible says that a great storm arose. And the disciples were terrified. And Jesus was asleep, and they aroused him, and they asked him a penetrating question. Don't you care if we perish? And Jesus got up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and a calmness and a peace came over the sea. And the thing is, the disciples were terrified. They were in awe because of Jesus' power that he could even command the waves and the wind to obey him. They were even more terrified than the actual storm that arose. And here they saw the power of Jesus at work. And so previous to this account of the demonic possession, we have the story of the great storm. And I always ask myself, when we read the stories in the Gospels, what is the point? Why does the writer include this particular story for us to read over 2,000 years later? I believe that the main purpose of this story is twofold. Number one, this story tells us that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. It proves that Jesus is the anointed. It proves that Jesus is the Christ. It proves that he is the long-awaited Messiah. It proves that he is the Son of God. So this story speaks about Christ. It confirms that Jesus is who he said he was. And I believe, secondly, The purpose why this particular story is told in the word of God is because it portrays the depravity of evil. It shows us the depths of which a person can sink under Satan's control. 
But that's not all that's in view here. We see that a former destructive life is delivered only by the power of God through Christ. Christ set this man free. If the story ended that this man never had deliverance, if the story ended there, wouldn't it be a dire and bleak story that this man constantly lived under demonic possession? So we're going to read here in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start in verses 1 through 5. They went across the lake to the region of Gadara when Jesus got out of the boat A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one combined him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons off of his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. You read that particular description in the word of God, and it's terrifying. That is a terrifying situation. Thomas Brooks once said this, Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life but he pays with death. We live in a culture of young people that believe that Satan has their best interest in mind and they live for him and they live under his control and they are being influenced by the ways of this world, but Satan always pays with death and destruction. This man, he lived in the graveyard I believe that this whole entire situation portrays to us that this man was unclean. First of all, he was in a Gentile city. Second of all, he was among the dead in the graveyard. If you were exposed to any dead body, you were deemed unclean as a Jew. Here what we see is this man, he's ostracized from society. He's outcast. He's living in the outskirts I don't know, maybe he was driven from town or maybe he sought refuge because the graveyards in that time, they were cut out into a mountain. And so he might have wanted to find some shelter. But the point of the story is this, that Jesus has power to overcome evil. He has power to overcome evil. The Bible says he could not be restrained. This is what the word of God says. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his foot. No one was strong enough to subdue him. That Greek word subdue is the same word found in James chapter 3 verse 7. And it's the word tame. He was like a wild beast. No one could tame this man. He was wild. They tried to restrain him by restraints, but he could not be restrained. The Bible says that he was restless. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out. He would cut himself with stones. The word crying, it means a loud shriek, a scream. 
Can you imagine a demon-possessed person screaming constantly, not just in the nighttime, but throughout the day, throughout the night, you'd hear this loud shriek, this scream coming from this man. Can you imagine that? And according to the Greek, this man, his outcries went on continually. So throughout the night and in the tombs and in the mountains, you'd hear his screaming and shrieking echoing against the mountains. He is not rational. Verse 5, it says that he cuts himself with stones. Matthew 8.28 adds that they were so violent that no one could pass by that way. They would avoid this man. So no rational person would ever live in a cemetery. The last time I checked, I don't think any rational person would choose to live in a cemetery. But here he is. He's cutting himself. It shows the irrationality of this particular man. And what that word means, it means to cut oneself up in the sense of gashing, hacking, or cutting one's whole body so as to leave it covered with scars. See, Matthew tells us that this man attacked anyone who ventured onto this road and everyone would avoid him. Looking at this particular story, I think it teaches us two powerful truths this morning. Two powerful truths. Number one, spiritual warfare can't be fought in the flesh. Do you hear me? Spiritual warfare cannot be fought in the flesh. Oftentimes, you know, even in our own personal lives, we are fighting a spiritual battle through our carnal flesh. The Bible says that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through Christ, pulling down strongholds. Amen? And oftentimes, we fight our battles in our flesh. You know, if you have a rebellious child and you're trying to discipline them, and uh, I, I know what it's like sometimes to have rebellious children that will not listen. And oftentimes we scream or we yell at them, and I realize that we are trying to fight this battle through our flesh. Maybe you're here today and you have an unbelieving spouse, or you're, you know, just don't get along with your spouse, and you're trying to fight that spiritual battle through the flesh. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that our spiritual warfare cannot be fought in the flesh. They tried to restrain him. They tried to bind him. They were fighting this man in natural means. But yet, spiritual warfare can't be fought in the flesh. He was kept under guard. He was bound hand and foot. The people of the town attempted to control this uncontrollable man, but they failed. So they wrestled with him. They tried to subdue him. See, God has never meant for us to fight our spiritual battles in the flesh. You know, I think we're losing this younger generation because we are fighting this spiritual battle in the flesh. And we need to use the mighty weapons of God. And what is that mighty weapon? Well, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says that we should put on what? The whole armor of God. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Oftentimes, we are, when we encounter someone who's an atheist or agnostic or someone who has rebelled against God, we're trying to convince them that God loves them. And yes, God uses our words. Yes, he uses our arguments. But we need to fight the battle with the word of God. That is our offensive weapon that God has given us, the word of God. 
If we don't know the word of God, we can't use it in a spiritual battle. That's why we must get into the word of God and memorize the word of God and allow the word of God to take root in our heart and in our lives. So God didn't mean for us to fight our battles in the flesh. Paul goes on, he says, he casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience of Christ. Do you remember what happened? to the people that went in, uh, the, there was demon possession taking place and the men of Sceva went in and they tried to cast out this demon and the demons overpowered them. They ran out of the house naked and fled in fear because I believe they didn't use the word of God. They didn't use the powerful weapon. See, the glorious salvation of Jesus Christ has freed us from the power of Satan. I no longer live under his control. If you are a believer this morning, you no longer live under the control of the evil one. Yet as believers, we do fight this spiritual battle. We fight and we put on the armor of God. And number two, spiritual warfare is fought in the power of Christ. We need to fight in the power of Christ. Now this is the turning point in this story. Jesus enters into the story, starting in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran. He fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Right there, that's an interesting admission by this demon-possessed person. He refers to Jesus as the son, not of God, but son of the most high God. God has power. He has sovereignty over every single thing, including the dominion of darkness. In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw this man that had been possessed by legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to this demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. They were all amazed. So what do we learn from this? We learn the true identity of Jesus Christ. He is God in human flesh. He is the son of the most high God. He has power over them. When he got out of the boat, that demon-possessed man came. He fell at Jesus' feet. 
You know what that tells me? God is in complete control of every situation. When he allows a sickness or disease to take over your body, he allows it, but he is still in control. He still sits on the throne. When you encounter a person who is evil and wants to get at you, God is still on the throne. He is still in control. This man fell at Jesus' feet. He had full control of the situation. And it goes to show that Jesus is superior. His power is superior. The Bible says that even when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus made an open spectacle of darkness. He made a fool out of Satan and his demons. He exposed them. He triumphed on the cross. He purchased our freedom. He purchased our forgiveness, our righteousness. He obeyed God the Father. He made an open spectacle of them on the cross. Demons fear Jesus. And because that same spirit lives in us, those demons should fear us. We shouldn't be afraid of them. We shouldn't be afraid of the powers of evil that have ravished our society. But rather we can walk in authority in Jesus Christ. James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Demons believe in God, but they rebel against his word. But I see in the Bible, there's not a single case in God's word of a demon spirit refusing to obey the command of Jesus Christ. Not one single instance. When Christ says, go, they go. And that enemy is vanquished. That's the point of the message that Pastor Richie was sharing with us. Satan is a defeated foe. He's been defeated by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He's defeated. He's defeated in our lives. He's defeated in our homes. He's defeated in our schools. He's defeated in our children's lives and grandchildren's lives. He's a defeated foe, and his time is short. Colossians 2.15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So what does that mean? That means that the power of Christ resides in us. Every believer Every born-again believer can be an overcomer. We can overcome Satan and every evil spirit. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, you, dear children, are from God and overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. James goes on and he talks about this faith in the Lord Jesus. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he that believes in Jesus as the Son of God. Not only do we have to overcome all the power of Satan as demons through our faith, but we have also been delivered by the evil one. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, For he, the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Satan and demons have no hold. They have no authority over a spirit-filled believer. And to the first 12, this is what Jesus says. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power 
and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. When he sent out the 72, he says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome some of the power of the enemy. No, the Bible says all. He has given us power to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. And what does Jesus say to us today? And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Many Christians today are ignorant of the power that we have in Christ. We have authority in Jesus Christ. He has given us the victory. And once you acknowledge that you have that victory, once you, you can embrace the fullness of the spirit, you can begin to exercise your authority over demons and the evil one. Let's see God's power working through us. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Step out in faith and let's believe that God can do something mighty in this place.